Let's get our Bibles out. Let's open to John chapter 4, page 984 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We're in a little in-between series called Belong, where we're looking at this, this encounter that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman at a well. And I told you last week that of all the conversations Jesus had in Scripture with one individual person, this is the longest recorded conversation that we have. There are so many things about this passage that make it intriguing. This is also the earliest first moment that Jesus uh, declares verbally that He is God. Imagine of all the times, of all the people, it would be this insignificant, nameless, outsider, Samaritan woman that these moments would take place. Hmm. It just tells us a lot about the Lord that we serve, doesn't it? It does. So, hey, thank you for doing such a great job of bringing candy. You did an amazing job. We have a mountain of candy, which we will go through today. And uh, it's just a great thing to see as we practice this time of year that it truly is greater to give than to receive. It is. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump in together, okay? Father, thank you for your scripture, Lord. We're so grateful for this word that's before us this morning. Thank you for what you desire to say to this family this morning. Thank you for just letting us be a part, Lord. Thank you. You're so amazing, and every time you reveal a little bit more to us about yourself through your word, we are just astonished, Lord, at how someone so good can just keep getting better. So, Lord, speak to us today. Holy Spirit, help us to receive the things you have for us. Lord, we in advance give you the credit and the praise. So, if you'd grant us ears to hear, we'll rejoice in what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your listening guides, here's what I want you to know this morning. I want you to see, again from this passage, that the real Jesus died on a real cross for the real you. See, Jesus didn't die on a cross for the you that everybody thinks you are. He didn't die on the cross for the you that you want everybody to think you are. He died for the real you. And this story, this text, this encounter that Jesus has with this woman teaches us so much about God and so much about ourselves. And one of the things that just amazes me about this passage is just how comfortable Jesus is in the truth. He's not rattled. We are so easily rattled. We're, we're rattled by other people's problems. We're rattled by other people's deficiencies and issues and situations and circumstances and differences. We're so easily rattled. And we believe that people will be rattled by our differences and our deficiencies. And, our, and so what, we live in a world where everyone's just wearing a mask. And God cuts right through all this and shows us that he is 
He's a real God who died on a real cross for the real you and me. Let's read together. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. So he was in between. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. It was near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The number of times in the Bible Jesus preached a sermon to a large crowd of people is 16. The number of times in the Bible that Jesus had a one-on-one conversation with someone is 40. Again, it just tells us a little bit about the God who saves us. 40 times Jesus had a conversation with a single individual person. The busiest human who ever lived. Now think, he, he, he didn't come on a mission of... execution, a mission of uh, efficiency. If he would have, he could have just wrote his message in the sky and told everybody at the same time. Or he would, have, he would have preached to thousands upon thousands of people every time he opened his mouth so that everybody could hear. But 40 times in Scripture, Jesus is in a one-on-one conversation with a person. And so look at verse 7. It's where we left off last week. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus says to her, he he initiates the conversation. He's there. He's waiting for her. Where are his disciples, by the way? The Bible says they went to get food. Let me ask you a question. Did it ever occur to you? Why did Jesus send 
all of the disciples to do a job that one or two could have easily done? How do you think it went all the other times when they needed food? Jesus would say, hey, you two, go get food and bring it back for everybody else. But this time, he sends everybody. Ever thought about that? He's there. He's by himself. He doesn't want any distraction. What would this Samaritan woman have done had she have walked, started walking up to the well and saw a group of Jewish men at the well? She would have turned around and went home. That wouldn't have been a safe encounter for her at all. It was scary enough that Jesus was there. See, the table is set for him to have a conversation with just her. Give me a drink. Jesus gets down to our level so that we might rise to his. Give me a drink. I mean, think about Jesus here on the wrong side of the tracks. The Bible says in verse 4 that he had to go to Samaria, which we dealt with last week, which is not true. He didn't have to because it was on the way or it was most efficient or it was safest or it was he he had to because he does the father's will and it was the father's will see he he Jesus submits his schedule to the father's timetable he yields his itinerary to the leading of the holy spirit that's what we see Jesus doing all of his decisions filter through the lens of compassion and eternal purpose. Now, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Now, I want you to think for a second about this. Because a lot of people think the reason Jesus says, give me a drink, is because he happens to be at a well. What do you think? Do you think that if Jesus was somewhere else, he would have said something different? Let me ask you a question. When Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, was he in a bakery? Huh? No. He wasn't standing in a Krispy Kreme when he said that. He is at a well. But he's talking about water because everyone is born thirsty that's why he's talking about water he uses thirst because it's universal this is why jesus doesn't say he's the living tomato because he knows that sensible people hate tomatoes and that would vastly limit who comes into the kingdom See, whenever Jesus, I, may, I make light of this, but I want you to connect to this. Whenever Jesus uses something, it's universal in nature because he's universal in nature. And so the offer is universal in nature. And so because we're all thirsty, and then we're all searching for something to quench that thirst... That's why we said last week that we're in between. See, we're all in between. What are we in between? We're in between the last thing 
that we tried to quench our thirst with and the next thing we're going to try to quench our thirst with. Because that's what people do. You you can think about it this way. We're all in between because we're all thirsty. That's why we're in between. You see, we're in between things that we think are going to quench our thirst. That's why we're always living for the next thing. That's why the, the flesh always wants to point from, we get to, and then we finally get there and go, well, and we need another thing to point at. Because we're trying to quench thirst. See, thirst actually causes in-betweenness. And what we see here is God inserting himself into our in-betweenness. He comes right into her in-betweenness, just like he does into me, mine, and yours. What's What's the great theme of the Bible? From the very beginning, isn't there a a narrative that runs like a thread all the way through the Scripture, God with us. There's God in the Garden of Eden. He's in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, God with us. He's dwelling with His creation. Then sin comes and ruins all that. He delivers His people from slavery in Egypt, establishes a tabernacle. For what reason? God with us. Then builds a temple for what reason? God with us. Jesus comes, puts on flesh, and dwells among us. What's that story? God with us. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and indwells us. Why? God with us. And one day soon the trumpet will sound. The sky is going to crack open. He's going to come back. And then forever we'll be... God with us. See, the whole point of God putting on flesh, Him entering into our brokenness and our in-between, is God with us. He's with us. He wants us to, He wants her to know that He, he wants to be with her. Jesus gets down to our level so that we might rise to His. So the Samaritan woman said to him in verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, Jesus doesn't care about conventional wisdom. He doesn't care about what's politically correct. He doesn't care about cultural stereotypes. Jesus cares about people. And so he just pierces right through all that. She's still a little bit rattled by all these walls of separation. She's, she knows she's an outsider. She, she feels the impossibility of her situation. But it doesn't bother Jesus. See, the real her doesn't bother Jesus. The, the real you, it doesn't bother Jesus. It, won't, it, doesn't, it doesn't limit what he can do in your life. So verse 10, Jesus answers her and says, Well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying, Do you give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Let me paraphrase that for you. Jesus says to her, If you actually understood 
that you are talking to the God who can solve your greatest problem. If you knew that he was offering that to you, then you would have asked him for it. That's what Jesus is saying. She's, she's, she, doesn't, she hasn't got her head around what's going on yet. So in verse 11, the woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus gives her a spiritual opportunity, and she responds with a physical reality. And you say to yourself, well, okay, well, that sounds weird. Can you think of a time in your life where God offers you, comes to you with a spiritual opportunity, and you respond to him with a physical reality? I bet that happens all the time. It happens to us all the time. If we're not careful, we do the same thing that she does in this moment. See, whatever the situation we find ourselves in, it's a mistake to to assume that, that we're alone, isn't it? And you see, your, circumstance, your circumstances may seem like there's no way out, like there's no solution. But your circumstances are natural. They're limited. God, on the other hand, is spiritual and unlimited. And so we don't confuse the two. See, sometimes we're stuck. We're just stuck. We resist what God is doing in our life because our marriage is broken or because our child is prodigal or because our health is deficient or because of a, a physical reality. A, a, situ, a circumstance has us so bewildered and broken and hurt and confused and frustrated and, and helpless and and we're stuck in that, and we resist what God is wanting to do in our life. We resist the opportunities God has because we're stuck in the physical reality. We don't move because God hasn't fixed the problem. And oftentimes, the way God fixes the problem is by us moving. See, sometimes he fixes the circumstance, but a lot of times he fixes us for the circumstance. But it's a mistake. Listen, it sounds bizarre for her to respond to this statement of living water. You don't have a bucket? I'm telling you, receive the reality. You've said to God multiple times in your life, you don't have a bucket. Don't do that. Don't get stuck in the physical and and then resist the spiritual. Don't do that. 
realize that the spiritual is always greater than the physical. That's an important lesson. See, God wants the woman at the well to see. He wants her to see her problem isn't her circumstances. That's why she's stuck in the physical, because that's where she, that's all she can see. That's all she, she lives in. See, her circumstances are a symptom of her problem. See, she was born thirsty just like you and me. And you know what her circumstances are? They're a result of her trying to quench the thirst within her. That's what they are. That's how all of us, every saved person in this room came to this point in our life where we were just exhausted and defeated and empty by all the things we've tried to quench our thirst with. Look at verse 13. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Living water transforms our in-between by permanently quenching our thirst. That's what living water does. You see, we live our lives in between. That's what, that's, what human, that's what human existence is. Now think about this. God, on the other hand, is never in between except in the life of Jesus. By putting on flesh, God entered into in between. Because he was fully man. And to be fully man is to live in between. And so he, he got wearied as this passage teaches us. And he gets thirsty and tired. And, and so he then enters in. See, Jesus said, whoever drinks. Whoever drinks. He's, he's taken a universal need and he's using it to illustrate a universal opportunity. Whoever. But notice something. What do you have to do? You have to drink it. You have to drink it. The Bible doesn't say whoever gets wet by this water, whoever stumbles into this water or whoever gets, gets soaked by this water, whoever this water falls on, no. It's very specific, whoever drinks. There is an active participation in this. This isn't a passive occurrence. This is an active occurrence drinks you have to drink 
The water doesn't just get on you. You have to drink it. You have to receive it. You have to acknowledge that you're thirsty beyond your capacity to quench your thirst. See, Jesus only came for those who are willing to drink. The offer's universal, but you have to drink it. He didn't come for the spiritual elite. That's not who he came for. He didn't come for those who excel in following rules. He didn't come for the legalist who thinks it's all about trying harder. No. He came for the inconsistent, shaky people. The people who have the guts to admit that no matter how good they may look on the outside, everything they've tried to quench their thirst has simply left them more thirsty. That's who he came for. And do you know how you know who he came for and who he didn't came, come for? By who drinks. Because see, everyone has the free will to say no thank you. The Bible has tons of examples recorded in Scripture of people who said, not interested. I'm fine. I'm not thirsty. What I have is quenching it. I'm good. I don't want that. That's not my scene. That's not my thing. It's whoever drinks. You have to drink. But what else? What else can we see from the way Jesus says this? Not only do you have to drink it, but how do you get it? You have to drink it, but you can only get it one way. And Jesus is very specific in what he says. It's the water that I give. It's not the water that you find. It's not the water that you get. It's not the water that you buy. It's not the water that you earn. It's, it's only for those who drink it, but you can only get it from him as a gift. See, remember how this started off? Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God, he, he keeps pointing her towards the fact that this is a gift. Jesus wants her to know the same thing that he wants us to know. He wants this woman to understand that he already, he already knows everything about her. He already knows the real her as he's going to reveal in the following passages. And he's offering her living water that will change her life forever. 
in the full knowledge of who she is and what she's done. And so clearly this gift has nothing to do with performance or her past. No. It's whoever drinks of the gift that he gives. Think about this living water. Think about the moment that you encountered Jesus at the well. The moment that you were just exhausted from trying to quench your thirst. When just living in between had just... It, it ran its course. You just kept going from one thing to another. There was always something to live for on the horizon. And then every time you got there, it would disappoint. It wouldn't live up. Remember that? And then remember... However it was that God revealed to you that He's offering you something that will quench your thirst forever. That feeling of first being born again. Realizing that it's not just this, wow, I'm going to go to heaven. There's a feeling in the, in the moment where everything changes, where you realize that the, this weight is off your, your back. And part of that weight is this constant searching to quench your thirst, it's just searching and searching from one thing to the next, just living in between, in between, in between. And realizing that God did that. For the real you. For the real you. Maybe the you that no one else knows. Except for him. But he knows. He's not, he's not rattled or put off by that. You think about this living water. Wisdom cannot find it. You can't, you can't figure things out, read books, become smart, educate yourself. Doesn't, it's not based on any sort of IQ or, or ingenuity. No, no wisdom can find it. No power can obtain it. It's not for those who have prestige or power or authority or position. No, it's not how it works. No amount of money can buy it. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. All that is useless at the well with Jesus. Merit cannot earn it. What what this text wants us to know is that it doesn't matter who you are. We've got to get this. We've got to get this. Because I'm not so much concerned about who you are as I'm concerned about who they are.
and how you and me see them. So we have to remember that there is, there's no merit that can earn it. It is a gift. It's a gift that God gives universally. Every person is born thirsty. Therefore, every person lives in between. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He came that we would experience living water, the living water of His unconditional love. And the power of his indestructible life within us. That we would know what it's like to have our thirst quenched forever. Forever. You see, we don't, we're still stuck in between, but now it's been transformed, it's been changed. And this is illustrated by the life of Jesus. See, this gift transforms our in-between. A saved person, a born-again person, is still in-between as long as we're here in this fallen world. But it's not the same in-between that we used to be in. Look at the last part of verse 14. This is how Jesus explains it. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Hmm. So we think church people are good at taking a text like this and saying, what this means, because we know from John chapter 7, Jesus is going to give explanation a few chapters later about living water. He's going to teach us that what he's talking about is it's a, it's a picture of salvation. And the Spirit's going to come within us. And he's going to say in John chapter 7 that it just, it just bubbles up. It's a spring that just keeps bubbling up and so what church people do is they say well here's what that means that means that this living water that's within us this spirit that's within us is always there for us to guide us and to comfort us and to to lead us and to direct us and to well is that true well yes but is that what this text means He's at a well, folks. Think about this. Why is it that church people make this living water about them being satisfied? Hmm. When in reality, 
This is about how God might flow through us to satisfy others. That's what the picture is. See, you have to remember, anytime anytime you read a scripture and you go, well, now, what does this look like? Especially if it's Jesus speaking, then just go, well, what does he look like? Because what it looks like is him. Is he there to satisfy himself? Is he? Well, of course he's not. He's there to be a a spring of living water flowing through him to other people. Which is exactly what he wants to make her. Which is exactly what she becomes at the end of this story. Let's be careful that we understand the propensity of our flesh to turn everything and make everything about us. It's just about me. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want to be forgiven. I want to be satisfied. I don't want to be thirsty anymore. Jesus is at a well. He's not standing next to a lake saying, I'll give you living water. He's not standing next to a reservoir. He's standing next to a well. He's standing next to a spring. He's standing next to a place where everyone comes To find their need. Where people have to come. To be relieved. That's what he's standing next to. What Jesus wants us to see here is that. We're to convey that which we've received. We then become, whoever drinks of this living water becomes a spring of living water that other people can come to. That's what it is. So then once we drink of living water, what happens now? We now use our in-between for the eternity of others because that's our Father's will. We then, you see, we are now called as he is called. We follow in his footsteps. We then break through cultural barriers. We then break through uncomfortable situations. We then go to places that maybe we otherwise wouldn't go to. We then say things like, I had to go there, knowing that you didn't have to go there. It wasn't convenient to go there. You didn't, you see? So, so today we have to go out to West Wortham. Well, no one has to go. Some of you won't go. That's just the truth. How crazy is that? Some of you have been in this church and never been. 
It's your Father's will. And do you know why? Because you don't like it. Because it's not for you. That's just the truth. You think living water is to satisfy you. You don't share the gospel with people because it's about you. You don't serve people because it's about you. And remember, remember when that voice in your head just countered what you just heard come out of my mouth? What does the Bible say? Didn't Jesus say, don't serve those who can repay you? Didn't he say that? Because you, you immediately said, I serve people. You lie. You serve people that benefit you. You serve people that are your friends and your people that you love and people that... I'm talking about people you would never speak to. Serve them. Outsiders. That's what we're talking about. That's why this family exists. So that we'd use our in-between together. You know why? Because together we can accomplish things individually we never could. It's our Father's will. Verse 15, so the woman says to him, here's her response, Sir, she now gets it. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, what's going on here? I want you to notice a couple things and then we'll be done. First of all, I want you to notice her confession, her admission is that she is what? Thirsty. That she's thirsty. And she's also making very clear that she doesn't like where her thirst has led her. Because she says, I don't want to be thirsty anymore, and I don't want to come here anymore. Now, I want you to think, this is a well near the city of Sychar. And you know what happens there every day? I've been to wells all over the world. I've seen horrifically bad, polluted wells in India, wells in South America, wells in Brazil. Wells are the cultural epicenter of a village or a town. It's the place where everybody meets. And do you know what happened every day? Every day, people of that community, they all gathered at that well. For most of the women that lived in Sychar, the highlight of their day was going to the well in the morning and visiting with all their friends and being able to catch up on the latest news and just seeing everybody and being a part. But not for her, not for this woman. Because she says, or have to come here to draw water. That's her saying, anything but come here. This is a place of pain and shame and rejection and alienation. 
You know why she doesn't want to come to the well anymore? Because it's, it hurts. Every time she comes to the well, every day, it's not that she has to come in the hottest part of the day and it's hot and it's, it's inconvenient and she gets sweaty. And it's not that. The worst part of it is that every day she, as she walks and she sees that well and it gets closer and closer and closer, every step she takes is a reminder that she's an outsider, that she doesn't belong, that she's, she's not going to be able to come in, that she's not welcome. It's not a place of, of joy and community for her. It's a place of pain. And isn't it amazing that this woman who spends her life trying to avoid people because of where her thirst has led her, drinks of this living water, and then what does she do? Runs into the city and starts making public declarations to everyone. You see that? You know what that's called? That's transformed in between. That's what that is. She's still in between, but it doesn't look the same. Just like that. You're going to see thousands of faces this afternoon. Thousands. And I don't know what you think when you see them. Because you see through your lens, I, I see through mine. But I can tell you what I see. Every year on this day, I see little faces with smiles on them. You know why? Because candy is a universal language. Every kid loves candy. Which is God's way of saying we got to have Dennis. You're going to see a lot of smiles. You're going to see families thankful and joyful and happy to see their kids be blessed and having fun. And But if you look close, you're going to see a lot of pain. Every year I see I see at least one, usually several, girls. They come to play my game. And I can tell the person that they're with is abusing them. I can see it. I can see it in their face and I can see it in their body language. And it breaks my heart. I can't prove that, but I know that. I see little kids that feel like this is just as good as it's ever going to get for them. That at a young age, their dreams have already started dying. You're going to see some teenagers today 
who are desperately, desperately crying out for attention and love. They're going to be dressed in ways. They're going to have little things about them. If you just pay close attention, just look, look, look at them. Have, ask God to give you his eyes. They want a place to fit in so bad. They want to belong. And just what you say, how you smile and how you communicate and how you treat them and the conversations just think about Jesus sitting at that well waiting for that lady some of you are going to have conversations today. We're going we're to be able to just have a conversation. Just be mindful of what it feels like to be on the outside. Remember that a lot of people that will be there today are going to be very appreciative and thankful. But they also believe that you're different and that they can't be like you because they're different. Remember that. There may be some things that you think about them that make you uncomfortable. It's okay. It's okay. Let your transformed in-between invade their in-between. Because your Heavenly Father wants you and me to be a spring of living water for people. Here's what we know. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, every single person you see today is thirsty. They're thirsty. Jesus comes to the in-between outsiders to let them know that the door is open you can come inside and find a place of belonging where you will be thirsty no more. That's what it looks like to love like Jesus. See, God's for you, so we're for you. Because He is. He is. Let's stand and bow our heads.
Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for this picture of who the God of the universe is. A God sitting by a well waiting for a lady that doesn't want to talk to anyone and that nobody else wants to talk to. But you're waiting. And Lord, forgive us for all the ways that we think we're different from a Samaritan woman. Holy Spirit, remind us right now that we are her in this story. And that if we're not her in this story, then we don't know you. And so, Lord, let us be a fountain, a spring of living water today in our community. Thank you for letting us be a part of this family. Thank you for adopting us, Lord. Thank you for transforming our in-between. Thank you. Father, thank you. So the harvest is white. As we walk into this field, Lord, we want to see with your eyes. We want to speak with your love. We want to serve with your heart. That's what we want to do, Lord. So will you help us to do that, that you might get the glory and the praise. And Lord, you want that for us. And so if, as we just respond in this moment to this, this truth, Lord, and we ask ourselves, Whatever it is that we need to ask. When we lean upon you for whatever it is we lean upon you for. That we can't give anyone anything we don't have. And so the same God that sits by a well is here right now. Waiting for anyone who doesn't know him. To just walk up and drink. So we thank you, Lord. Will you do what only you can do and we will obey what we hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's have a moment of response. If you want to come up to the altar, then make your way up here. Come on.